2: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host. Hello and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to all things cycling, walking, and wheeling in the UK and beyond. I'm Ned Bolting. Who are you? I'm Adam Tranter. I'm Laura Laker. Excellent, we've got that clear. Now this time, we've got a special episode in which Laura goes to the seaside. (laughs) Laura at the seaside. She visits Shoreham by sea and Brighton, not by sea, well it is by sea, but Brighton, just Brighton, in person. Laura talks to Mark Strong, not the famous actor, who I saw in... um, no. Thank you, death of a salesman. Instead, he's a transport planning consultant specialising in active travel for transport initiatives. And she meets Adam Bronckhorst of Shoreham by Cycle, a local cycle campaign in Shoreham by Sea. Now, Adam's surname is not Bronckhurst, as Laura erroneously pronounces it in the following feature.
3: Sorry, Adam. So, we find ourselves in Brighton. I remember this road, actually, because when you cycle into Brighton, there used to be, you come down the hill and then there was a horrible road and we've just sort of come to this huge island. Anyway, I'm here with Mark Strong, so maybe, Mark, you can tell us about what's going on here.
4: This is the Valley Gardens project and this used to be the dual carriageway A23 main road into Brighton and it still is the A23, but they've cut the road down to two lanes of traffic and built... A park for people to use. The park was the green space in the middle, no one was using because it was so cut off. So, what they've done is put general traffic on one side, buses and taxis and deliveries on the other side, a wide cycle lane in the middle and walkways across for people to use and they built the church here it's called st peter's and they built st peter's square because the vicar said if rome can have one we want a st peter's square in brighton as well and normally it's absolutely colonized by rollerbladers and skateboarders no one knew that that was going to be its use but it's turned into a real haven for people doing that and the main through cycle route here which is mostly four meters wide it's a high quality cycle route it's stopping now at a place called Edward Street by the Royal Pavilion, but the money's there to carry it on to the, to take it straight to the pier and reach the sea. Ah. Of course is the iconic image everyone knows of the pier. It's the most yeah. dangerous junction in Brighton.
3: It's horrible, because um, I know, because I've cycled London to Brighton a couple of times. I've visited, obviously, usually with a bike. Yeah, this is a real transformation. I don't know how high it goes, but I remember that roundabout. So you've basically got this beautiful seafront route, yes. cycling walking route, which has been improved to the east. And slightly improved to the west. Oh, we haven't done that bit yet. I think we're going to maybe do that in a bit. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's this sort of roundabout, like a big road roundabout, which really cuts it off p- pedestrian and cycle traffic. So they're going to improve that. That's
4: going to be turned into a signalised crossroads. And any cyclops, Brian Deegan would call it, It'd be two-way cyclops for the junction geeks amongst us. Yeah. And all that's going to be improved. The money's there. The designs have been agreed just needs to be built now. So for people
3: who don't know, an any cyclops, if people have seen like a Dutch crossing, it'll have, and because it's uh, an innie one, that means the pedestrians who are the slower traffic go on the inside, and then around them go the cyclists, and they kind of can go around the edge, and all, it goes all green at once, so you can the do... The
4: big difference here, it might not go all green at once, the big difference is that all the routes around will be two-way, whereas on the cyclops like in Manchester and Salford, the routes are one-way, and that's due to the particular nature of the way, the, where it is with the seafront route, some people might be going two-way and without going into too many details it was easier to build everything two-way than have half of it that way
3: okay and you know about this kind of thing because this is what you do for a living
4: what I do for a living and my office is actually literally on the other side of this road I open my door and walk out onto a pelican crossing and I can go straight out onto this route but you're not seeing it at its best in the spring really it's a riot of tulips and flowers and actually it was really good, it really thrived during lockdown because it was finished just before lockdown and what it meant was that all the flowers and all the plants could thrive while people couldn't go out and trample on them so they actually grew up really well so by the time people could come out and use it everything had really taken hold and the last couple of summers it's been fantastic and people do come out here and use it which is the point of what it was there it's become, instead of being a patch between the central reservation and the dual carriageway it's become a, a central park for brighton
3: oh wonderful yeah because um before you couldn't really get here this road was horrible if you're cycling down you're just looking around you and trying not to get mown down basically but now you're totally separate and there's new trees and there's a lot of new kind of sticky gravel stuff like it's glued down gravel i don't know what you call it resin yeah, yeah it's quite busy people can probably hear in the background there's a lot of traffic so it's nice not to have to share
4: What's interesting is that the proposals originally was to keep, when we're cycling down, was to have a boulevard effect with two lanes of traffic in each direction. And the traffic modelling actually said if you get the junctions right, you can get it down to one lane of traffic in each direction, as long as you make it slightly wider at the traffic signals. And that made enough space to have a wide cycle track. And all the opponents said, oh no, that's terrible, the traffic will all gum up, it'll be a disaster at peak hours and maybe on summer bank holiday there is a queue of traffic but that's because there's so many people driving to Brighton. Mm. Normal times like now even when we heard an ambulance you can see traffic is flowing and it works 95% of the time even though they've taken it down from what was four lanes of traffic to two lanes of traffic it still works and even the traffic we've got the traffic wardens over there and even they are on electric bikes. Uh,
3: Yeah is that a new thing?
4: I think relatively new last year or so they found yeah. it's easier to get around and issue more tickets that way than it is to walk.
3: Yeah because I remember during um, the pandemic Brighton had um, a big plans they took away traffic from one of the seafront roads yeah, we'll go down and then they kind of rolled back on it and I think there was a lot of disappointment and a feeling like maybe they'd kind of lost their gumption.
4: I think the problem with that route you're talking about Madeira Drive it was actually yeah. the first lockdown closure in the whole country where all traffic was banned And the problem is, there were two problems, one is there were a lot of traders down there and it was fine when everything was closed, but once things started opening there were people who said especially blue badge holders, we want to drive down there. The other problem is the council is taking a million pounds a year in parking revenue down there and even a green council, that's a lot of money to pass up that can be spent on traffic measures and transport measures. So the compromise is essentially taking parking out of half the road. One side has been turned to a cycle track, so they've kept half the parking by Clever management, they managed to keep 60% of the parking, actually. So they've lost some money, but they provided a wide cycle track. They've turned the road into one way. And crucially, they've got the cyclists off what was a shared pavement onto a separate track. So people walking have an unencumbered space with no cyclists on it. So everyone's benefited a bit. No one has got absolutely 100% of what they wanted. The only losers, I suppose, is that motorists have to go one way rather than two way. So that's the biggest, if you like, loss, in quotes. I mean, it would be lovely to have all the traffic
3: out, but sometimes you have to take what you can. Yeah, 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 there's a lot of it here, that's for sure. Maybe quickly, what else is happening here in Brighton? Well, um, so that Madeira Drive track, the
4: way that Brighton works is that that's a lower promenade and there's a cliff to the oh, next yeah. level. The main road, the 0259, is technically it's a one um, lane road, but it's a, like a 15 metre wide one lane road, it's really really wide and it connects to Kemptown which is where the main police station is, the hospital, a lot of um, some municipal facilities and that east-west route is really nasty to cycle on and there's a big controversy at the moment about people cycling on the pavement of the upper level, in fact what's happened is somebody painted no cycling signs on the pavement and somebody else has gone down and replaced the no with a little heart.
3: Um, paint wars. Yeah,
4: paint wars. And there are disability groups who are saying, but this is a no cycling and we've got this and we really don't want it. So it's a particularly live issue at the moment. And the answer is to put a cycle track along that road, which is really wide and could be done. Mm. And the council has got money from Active Travel England. That's the Active Travel Fund, Tranche 3, money that they've got, 1.5 million to build a track along there. So that's the next thing that will be happening and that will connect up to East Bright and Whitehawk, which is a particularly deprived area, and the hospital. So that's the next thing that is happening. That's the money's there. I haven't seen any plans yet, but it's in there and in the pipeline. OK, let's go on to the next place. And the one... Sorry, I will say one thing is that behind us is an area called Hanover, yeah. and that's where the first livable neighbourhood in Brighton is. Oh, and that, the consultation on that is live at the moment. And like the livable neighbourhoods in London and elsewhere in Oxford and other places in the country, there is a lot of controversy and anger and a, loud, a small group of loud people opposing it for the usual reasons. And groups of people supporting it for the usual reasons, and that is a live process that will be decided on in the next few months. So it has one of the lowest car ownerships in in the country. Actually, it's on a par with places in London. So if you're going to do that sort of thing anywhere, this is the place to do it. But it is also quite hilly. Yeah,
3: yeah. Okay, we also have we also have with us Adam Bronckhurst Well, tell us tell us what you do. Hi, I'm Adam. Um, I'm part of a community group called Shore and Bicycle in Shore and by Sea,
0: and we are a bunch of residents parents drivers cyclists walkers train users etc who are just trying to improve cycling and make cycling better where we live been going about 4 years didn't realize that when we started in a pub just with an idea and a name that we'd end up having meetings with MPs lobbying councillors having WhatsApp groups with our local politicians becoming kind of knowledgeable on different aspects of cycling and infrastructure etc and we're in the valley gardens which is great it sounds really noisy and really busy with traffic because it's raining and there's a lot more traffic noise because of the rain one of the other benefits of this huge long boulevard probably goes maybe about a mile to the seafront is that during the festival and other events in brighton it's become an event space and you'll often see event tents the lady boys of bangkok come here every year i think lots of other things we have a thing called the warren which is also here but there's huge spaces which are used and utilized for public events i used to live in hanover for 10 years i went to university there i've lived in brighton and the greater brighton area for 30 years one of the great things about this valley gardens project is that in 30 years there's never been a connecting route down to the seafront down the main route you've always got to a certain bit a couple hundred yards on the seafront and you have to divert in and out and all around the, the space So having that is going to be great. Hanover is a very densely populated area which was built for the Fishermen of Brighton back in the day, 200 years ago. It's just celebrated its 200th anniversary. So it wasn't built for cars. And you look at the roads and they're a chock-a-block full of cars. And I think that there's a fantastic opportunity to make the first livable neighbourhood in Brighton. And as usual, as we've seen in Oxford and in London and all around the country, when change happens, you get people that are upset and angry about it and don't quite understand it but it's a trial and my opinion is that let's put the trial in let's see if it works great if bits don't work tweak it and then change it but the idea of just doing nothing doesn't work and I remember Hanover I sound like I'm really old here but I remember Hanover 30 years ago you could go there and half the roads were empty of cars and now it's chock-a-block and you spend 20 minutes driving around trying to find a space it has to work for everyone obviously not all LTNs are fantastic but i think a majority of them do work and the majority of them are great and improve the lives of people everyone's initially worried about boundary roads and traffic on boundary roads but we've seen elsewhere that traffic does uh, evaporate and we're just standing i mean we haven't got a picture here or anything obviously it's a podcast which i love and um <laughs> gotta get a plug in there for streets ahead listens from the first one but we had there's a very fantastic old picture of this road here which used to go up all the way up the hill and um, in the 50s they demolished it and built some, I wouldn't say high-rise flat but mid-rise flats and the picture from back in the day, the the road was so steep that they actually had a wall halfway down the road to stop runaway carts.
3: It's really steep, they've now got, it kind of stops at the shallow bit and then it gets steep and there's a kind of zigzag path, so they've even got kind of a, I don't know, like a chicane situation for um, pedestrians, you kind of tack up the hill like a ship.
0: And um, one of the nicknames for Hanover is Musley Mountain. It's what it's commonly known as in Brighton, which is kind of makes me a little bit sad that the progressive folk of Brighton, who are all forward thinking, all open-minded, that there is such a bit of a backlash from some very vocal people about LTNs. Whereas there are already roads closed off in Hanover and have been for decades. And if we ask the residents there, we're going to open up these roads the residents there would all
3: kick off and all complain no we don't want our roads open up why is it Musley mountain is it gentrification reference
4: yeah a lot of the progressive politics in brighton has come from people who originally went to sussex university and stayed and it was it was a cheap area it was all going to be demolished for more high rises in the 70s and 80s so the houses became cheap so students could live there and then they got older and they stayed there so people have moved there and grown families up so it's a bit of a slight piss take on people with slightly progressive politics.
3: Okay, alright. Good, let's let's move on, let's move on. We're at the seaside. Mark's sprung into action with his bike share and he's, he's going to help people get their bikes out. <laughs> the
5: lock, the lock. No, I know, yeah. no, but no one's
4: really going to weave it away. No. As long as it's actually locked into the lock.
5: Oh, well, yeah yeah. Because well, they can't
4: move it, can they? they can, yeah, yeah. Well, you... you if you lift the back wheel up and you can wheel it by the front wheel, but oh, anyone
5: yeah. really wants to yeah, do that. We'll that. You're yeah. a bit new to this, as you can see. No, but do you enjoy the ride? It's very good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Have you just been along the seafront?
5: Yeah. yeah, it's just on. Yeah, oh, wait, yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we came cycling. from the marina.
3: Oh, have you? How was it? Good.
5: The bike ride was, uh, it, it started weird. very wet and
3: <laughs> finished,
5: finished very <laughs> sunny, <laughs> so it was yeah. great. We just struggled with the tech on the apps. Oh, it's yeah. Age related issue, not an app.
0: And are you Brighton based or are you no, visiting? Uh, no, no visiting. Yeah. So where from?
5: Thetford in Norfolk.
0: Thetford oh. in
4: Norfolk? We did a study of the cycle routes around Thetford Forest. I'm right. a consultant. Is your man on that? So oh, on The right. mountain bike routes around the forest. Oh really? Yeah. High Lodge and all Yeah, yeah, we yeah. did a whole study for the bike. Yeah. Did you do the 13th, Cycle 13th route? We were consultants, so we just told them oh, what right. they should be building. That was ten years ago, so our problem with the consultant is we never know whether anyone
0: listens to anything we suggest or not. <laughs> I think this is one of the great things about the Bright Fire Skies is that people come from other places yeah. and they use them and they can ride around Brighton and use the infrastructure. So we're trying to say that it's not just for people that live in Brighton yeah. and the bike hire schemes aren't just for people in here but they're for, for everywhere. Yeah. So we,
5: like we've got no other means of transport we're only here for the day. Okay. So it's either walking or...
0: And, and you took the train down?
5: No, we uh, flew down in, a, in oh. a helicopter. Yeah, So we oh, chopped well. it down. <laughs>
3: Oh, you're so fancy. Shoram, so it's a Shoram- Apple. You're quite yeah. fancy.
5: And then we biked here. So, literally multi mode. Yeah.
3: Wow. Cramble. Unusual.
5: Taxi, bike. That's super fancy. Very often now. Coffee, Shoreham, back to Thetford.
3: Ah, you're cycling to Shoreham? No.
5: We'll taxi. <laughs> yeah. <now. He's> taxi. <laughs> Unless you're offering to pedal, no. If
3: you want an ice cream,
4: just where those flats are, there's a place called Morocco's that does the best ice cream. Oh,
5: I'll I've got to do. Get my phone out.
3: The- Have a lovely day. Thank oh, you. we will. Nice you. you. Enjoy the, uh, enjoy the <laughs> I like the way Mark just sp- sprung into action there. I just Mark, had to follow so now, you.
4: I got a year's free membership for being
3: an ambassador you, to the scheme. You basically saw someone in distress. You hurriedly kicked your kickstand up and dashed over to help them. So we've just cycled along the new... It looks like a pop-up route, but it's not a pop-up route. It's basically a new cycle lane along the seafront. There's a couple, actually. There's the one east towards the marina, east of that new cycle lane and the horrible roundabout that's going to be replaced. It's like two-way, and then there's one that's one way on the road, and then they've kind of given over the existing pavement cycle route on the promenade to cycles going the other way so place where mark came a cropper was taken out by a flag no laughing matter but no, sounds I mean, I mean, it sounds quite painful it was
4: fortunately just road you know road rash and handlebars yeah. because i went down on my hands it was a freak accident because they had a like a pole flag for the open top bus and it just yeah. came out swung around sideways grabbed my handlebars and pulled me off sideways And the problem was that it's, you know, in the design standards, they say nothing should be within 500 millimetres, half a metre, of the edge of a cycle track. And this was right next to the cycle track, so that's Mm. one of the, you know, fences, all sorts of things. So there is a reason for all these little rules that people think are bureaucratic, there are reasons for
3: is This is your bread and butter, isn't it? Yeah. This is what you do. But, yeah, anyway, you you survived okay. The open-top bus came to your rescue with its inaccessible first aid aid. aid. aid kit. All right, so just seeing the cycle lane, what can we say about it?
0: Adam? It works very well. It hasn't taken away much space for people driving. There's still congestion down here because there's always been congestion down here. They
3: put the parking on the outside of the cycle lane, obviously. So you can see cars parked to the outside of the bollards. Which is quite nice.
0: Floating parking, which is, is, is great. It's now one way east and one way west, which is great because the previous two-way cycle lane is incredibly narrow. Filled with tourists. And Yeah, the paint isn't protection, so there's only people walking in. Um, but it's great. It runs all the way... From technically from the marina, all the way where does that go to? To Hove Lagoon, and we're going to show you a bit further on where they're going to carry on this going west on Hove Esplanade.
3: I still can 't believe those guys came on a helicopter <laughs> you were like trained well,
4: just been, like, oh, what's oh. interesting what's interesting is it shows that even I don't know what you call what's the what's the helicopter They're very rich the helicopter equivalent to petrol heads um, <laughs> even a helicopter pilot you know you might expect people who come down from a helicopter to be so keen on then getting into a car. And yet, when they're not helicoptering, they're interested in walking and cycling. So it just, you know, counterintuitive. They might use a a mechanical, motorized means for one leg of their journey, it doesn't mean they always want to drive everywhere else. So I think that's the message that that you don't have to use the same mode of transport for everything.
3: Yeah, it's true. We
0: made this at the Transport Select Committee, which, as we're talking, happened yesterday, and Chris Morgan was talking about multi-mode transport and integrated transport <laughs> systems. Uh, I'm not sure if he quite <laughs> had helicopters in mind, <laughs> but it just shows that actually people use different modes of transfer, whether you drive to the station, walk when you get there after taking the train, or whether you fly down in a helicopter, take an, a, a taxi and then take a, a bike.
3: bike. Yeah. yeah, It's just the easiest thing, isn't it, I guess? Well, it's quite nice, actually. Unexpected encounter. <laughs>
4: what I would say is that there's only two things wrong with, it, with this. One is that the council bought thousands of ones during lockdown Orange ones. So, orange ones, which look a bit like a, a contraflow on a motorway. Mm. I mean, in the fact, they are the same ones that are used on contraflows on motorways. And they do get occasionally hit or just fall over in the wind. And the, until they've used up their backlog of thousands of them, which they have in a yard, obviously it's not cost effective to go and buy a whole load of more robust stuff. Like yeah. you might have on Trafalgar Road in Greenwich, the raw robust wand orcas. Oh, I
3: haven't seen those. As you the pointed wall.
4: out, there's a lot of dead bollards in the road. There are a lot of dead bollards. Occasionally I pick them up. <laughs> you can screw them back <laughs> can in. Can you? What, like a jar, yeah, like they're, a they're, lid they're, they're screwed in and some of them are knocked out so they've been epoxied in and when they're knocked out, they're dead. But some of them are just fallen over and uh. sleeping. You can reattach <laughs> the bollards. I have been caught cycling down with a bollard <laughs> under my arm. But um, they're not as protective as a kerb and you do see... Especially parents with young kids thinking, mm. I'd rather use the cycle lane even if it's the wrong way yeah. than being on the road. Understandable. Because if you've got a young kid, they could swerve between the bollards into the way of a parked car. So there is that, and then there is the other issue, which is. What's remaining one way is supposed to be one way eastbound. Well, there are a small number, 5 to 10% of people maybe, who persist in cycling the other way, despite the arrows and the signs saying one way. I think we should use the Australian attitude to signing, which is not this polite thing saying one way. Basically, in Australia, they have things like, don't be a dick, you're going the wrong way. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, I can't remember the
0: specific ones, but I've seen them, they're much blunter in their instructions to people. The one advantage of the ones is that I have got a video of an ambulance which got stuck in traffic because, as I said, there's always traffic along there and the ambulance just pulls into the cycle lane and just cuts through all the traffic and goes to, to where they need. So I like the idea of thinking of these not just as cycle lanes but as emergency response lanes.
3: I have seen that in London, actually, where there's kerbs, um, uh, ambulance drivers sort of bumping over the kerb and driving down. Ultimately,
4: Adam talked about the extension of this, which would be a very similar design with the ones. The intention is to do a proper two way curb segregated cycle track with hard engineering, but that will be expensive. That would blow the entire council's entire cycling budget for years on that. So, unless they can get a a grant proposal together for the amount of money to, to put it together. You know, Do you say it was 20 million? It's about 15 to 20 million from one of the engineers, and that's a, a, an official engineer's back of the envelope calculation. So don't. Right. I wouldn't hold anyone to that, but you know, he hasn't been tasked with. Designing it, but he's he's saying, if I, I, I'm sure from my experience, if I was to design this, that's the sort of amount Mm. I would have to calculate.
3: Is that that's the kind of million a kilometre kind of?
4: Yeah, I mean that's the sort of embankment style, you know, super highway style route. And the problem is, of course, because there's a route that's decent enough, it's harder to make a case to put in a route that's really good. Mm. When if the council did have that money for cycling, or Active Travel England has that money for cycling the Cases shouldn't it be better spent on something that has absolutely nothing mm. like Shoreham than spending on something that's got something that works okay? Yeah. So that's the sort of hard cost benefit analysis you have to make when you've got limited amounts of money.
3: I think we're going to let you go, aren't we? Because you've got to get on, but um, thanks for coming along, it's nice uh, we'll to see you.
4: Enjoy um, all the other bits in Shoreham,
3: yeah. We're going to head to Shoreham now, aren't we, Adam? <laughs>
0: So this is Shoreham Academy, it's the high school in Shoreham. 50% of the pupils get here via active travel, they walk and cycle and you can see it's kicking out time now and there are tons and tons of kids walking.
3: Yeah, and a massive um, bike shed which is absolutely rammed full even though it was tipping down with rain this morning as you pointed out.
0: But the school are trying to make it safer and encourage people to, to walk and cycle. Shoreham's quite a small town so everywhere is within couple of miles of getting to the school but there aren't enough school places for high school kids in Shoreham so Uh, some kids have to go further afield and that's an even treacherous cycle ride along the A27 big busy four-lane highway with big trucks so that's why we're pushing to get safer provisions for kids to cycle to school and what tends to happen outside Shoreham Academy I'm seeing them kick out again and you get kind of pelotons or groups of kids cycling all along middle road which is part of the national cycle network yeah. which diverts from the seafront because the seafront's really busy and dangerous but middle road needs vastly improving i mean you can see how small some of the kids are and how big some of the kids are the vast range it's of a kids. secondary
3: school yeah it's a mm-hmm.
0: secondary high school it's a great school, it's fantastic. My two kids go
3: here, so I've got a massive Are you looking into- out for them? I am looking out for them. <laughs> <laughs> you might see little Yeah. What was your name? Lucy. Lucy, um, and you're here to pick up your son who's day three here. Yeah, yeah I noticed you're on a bike, so I wanted to say hi. Do you normally cycle around here? How do you find it? We live over on the um, beach, Shoreham Beach, which is about a... Um, 20 minute cycle but because of the way the road layout is it actually takes longer to drive so it makes a lot of sense for us to cycle oh, okay. here. The school really encourage it in order yeah. to get here in any way other than cars. So. Okay do they? Yeah. How it's do the they big, do that? Big. So we got a lot of information about it before the children started school yeah. plus I believe there's awards and things for how to get to school oh. rather than cars oh. so I'm going to do this for the first couple of weeks with him and then he'll be making his own way here. Wow that's great. Nice. Well um safe travels I guess thank you very much
0: (laughs) the thing with coastal towns is that you need a cycle lane on the seafront and you need one further north if you think about most towns and cities they're not hemmed in by the sea on one side so their cycle networks tend to look like a spider's web whereas when you have a coastal town what you need is you need a a seafront cycle path and you need one further north and then you need north-south connecting routes so cycle paths in coastal towns should look like a ladder but we'd love to get a school streets outside this road. It's crying out for one. There's
3: a for it, isn't there? Huge amounts of people on, kids on bikes. Amazing. Uh, and they stream out for about 20 minutes.
0: But when you think of school streets, you tend to think of primary schools, not high schools. I'm not sure why it can't be a high school. <laughs> but if anywhere deserves it, this place. In fact, no, you know what? Every school deserves a school street.
3: So what's the deal? Is there talk about one happening? or? Let's talk about one happening
0: in a primary school in Shoreham. There's a survey that's happening at the moment, we're kind of halfway through that and the results so far are 73% of respondents want a school streets, 16% don't. So this is parents, this is surrounding okay. residents. I checked yesterday because I was having a conversation with a councillor and there isn't a single school streets project that I know of or I can find out about in the whole of the county, West Sussex. Right. Which is pretty appalling considering they've been proven to work elsewhere. We'd love for Shoreham to be the first place to get one. And once one school gets the school streets, another school sees it, sees how successful it is. Once one school gets it, the next school sees it and thinks, hold on, why have they got it? Why can't we get it? And it spreads. There's one kid who comes to school on a unicycle here, which is just brilliant.
3: I, don't know we're today. But I love the eccentricity of yeah, that, yeah. it's just brilliant. We've proceeded up Upper Shoreham Road. I'm frankly quite shocked. I mean we had like a little bit of bike lane it's advisory bike lane which means dash lines which means you can park in it and drive in it plenty of people parked in it the dash lines stop at the side roads kind of leaving you in limbo and and then as you can probably hear there's just an enormous amount of traffic and an enormous amount of school kids walking on the pavements and it's just horrific it makes me quite angry seeing this I wish
0: people, or the people
3: listening, could see your face
0: then when we pulled in, because it was an absolute picture. That's how shocking it is. We've got industrial estates there. We've now stopped at another, literally quarter of a mile up the road, where there's another primary school just off it. You can hear the kids running around on the pavement, (laughs) literally metres from where big HGVs are passing. And in 20 minutes' time, this will have all calmed down. We know how many people are just driving to school. If we can remove... 20% 20% of the people doing that it will calm this road down mm. there's not even proper crossings here we've got traffic islands which don't even have drop curbs either side so you can't use them if you're pushing a buggy or on a yeah. wheelchair we
3: just let a woman and, um, and a kid across didn't we and it looked like he was freaking out a little bit yeah
0: totally and we've got a two way junction here we're at top of Buckingham Road and Upper Shore Road where it joins and this is a remnant of the old 70s design where they thought you needed to open up junction. Display
3: junction, keep the traffic moving as fast as possible. It's like a motorway slip road almost. Yeah
0: and what happens is the cars come out to turn left and they look down the road for vehicles coming and they look straight past people on bikes. There's a house straight across the road which has got the brick wall has been smashed in where a vehicle came colliding over. So there's been lots of collisions here at school time.
3: It's becoming a hell of a pace across this junction. It's quite a wide road. There's a kind of hatching section in the middle almost like a buffer section in the middle and parking on either side it's a wide road to come across and anyway to hit that
0: i'm going to be very geeky we've measured it the road and we've done drawings in a fantastic tool called street mix the road is something like 18.5 meters wide there's 1.5 meters of hatchings in the middle of the road which is negative space which isn't being used You've got parking on both sides. If we reduce parking to one side of the road, there's more than enough parking for what is needed on this road. You can gain another two and a half meters. So that's four meters you can gain back without even taking any space from the um, grass verges. And you can easily get four meters two two meter cycle lanes there. This road, Upper Shorn Road was widened in 1962 to be the main South Coast trunk road over to Honiton Trunk Road and they got rid of the grass curves you can just about see further up where the grass verges were so what we're saying is put it back make it narrow again which will slow the speed of traffic along here and make it safer for people and the, when i've spoken to people and residents along here who object to the cycle lanes when i've asked them what is their main objections to or this road one of the biggest issues on this road and they have three things with this road it's the speed of traffic it's the amount of traffic and it's the size of traffic and when it really comes down to it it's not cycle lanes or lots of parking everyone wants to turn this back to a residential road
3: someone in a souped up subaru imprezzo with their kid in the back it's like a super and estate. <laughs> there it goes.
0: We've got kids scooting past oh, <laughs> scooters, we've got them on bikes, we've got them in... Um, Constant
3: stream, basically. Constant stream, and there is no
0: safe crossing here. The council have done school surveys on how people travel to school, where they come from, and how they'd like to travel from school, and what's stopping them. And they know that three quarters of... Parents, staff, and kids who are surveyed would like to walk and scoot and cycle to school, and 16% would like to drive. So there's massive amount of people that would like to walk to get to school safely via active travel. And the things that are stopping them doing that are the speed of the traffic and safe space for people
3: so I guess um might be useful for people who don't know just to do like a quick potted history of the shore and bike lane it's a long it's a long saga it's a, it's a sad saga I don't mean to sound insincere it is a long and sad saga and I've covered it a lot in road cc when it was all initially happenings
0: so the cycle lane was in place for about three months and the council installed an electronic traffic counting machine which counted that there were 30,000 cycle trips in the three short months that it was there. And these are October, November and December as well, so they were winter months. The council's own report into it showed that cycling had increased massively during the time that it was there it talked about how some parents were now cycling to school rather than taking their car so air quality had improved there was no objections from the emergency services they'd done traffic measurements to see if traffic time had been delayed at all by the cycle lanes it hadn't so there was no reasonable reason to remove the cycle lanes apart from the fact that there was the usual uproar by people who were complaining about spurious reasons why they didn't like it. In fact, the three most complained reasons were loss of parking, no consultation whatsoever and the orange ones that were put in place. The council said at the very beginning, use it or lose it and we can prove that it was used and we still lost it. They've got plans for other cycle lanes to go in here, and the main objections that people objected to have all been dealt with. We've had round after round after round of consultation. In fact, we've been consulted to death on this now. We've had five consultations already and they're talking about another two consultations. So we've had five consultations on active travel in Shoreham and every one of them has come out with no reason not to put anything in.
3: And the initial cycle lane had a lot of support. It had support from schools, it had support from hospitals because people were using it. We had letters of support from
0: almost all the schools in the area, all the community groups supported it, we had employers supporting it, we had churches supporting it as well, loads of residents supporting it. So why the decision after five weeks? Without giving it time to bed in and we always said don't remove improve
3: yeah so i mean at the time when i was writing about it west sussex county council told me in response councillor elkins was able to make his decision on the basis of comprehensive reports prepared by experienced council officers and feedbacks from the council's online survey also he had said at the time that um the pop-up lane was in response to an emergency which was over and this was in Early 2021, late 2020, just for context. So
0: He made that decision, said that the emergency was over in November 2020 when we were still on lockdown. And he said that it was put in to alleviate pressure on the bus routes. But the thing is, there is two buses that go along this here and they're very sporadic, so it didn't make a difference. But Upper Shoreham Road has come out time and time again as a priority route, whether that's in the government's propensity to cycle scheme whether that's at a county level or or at a district level in the local cycling and walking infrastructure plan. It's constantly identified as the priority route. It's the widest road in Shoreham. It's the only road apart from the seafront which goes east to west from the entire length of, of the town. And it serves so many residential people. It's got a hospital on it. It's got doctor surgery. It's got shopping arcades. So many reasons to build it and hardly any not to build.
3: There is obviously some parking, and I guess there'll be parking lots. but also pretty much everyone's got off-street parking, which is also notable.
0: We did a survey on the amount of off-street parking and houses. So there's something like 338 houses on this road, and 332 of them have facilities for off-road parking, and 98% of those have parking for two or more vehicles. And what you find is that usually when there's car parks on the road, there's an empty driveway behind it. But the network management duty isn't to provide space to store vehicles, it's to keep the flow of traffic moving and to provide safe space. And we argue that providing a safe space for kids to get to school should take priority over parked
5: cars.
3: Yeah, We heard... Chris Boardman this week talking to the Transport Select Committee as head of Active Travel England about new procedures within Active Travel England funds will be allocated in kind of a gated fashion so there'll be an initial fund released if the plans look good and then once construction started someone will inspect and then they'll release the next fund and then if what's built isn't what was said would be built then money will be clawed back or or not allocated in future and i wonder if you think that kind of approach is going to change the situation for other upper shore and roads or indeed for the future of this route um when it comes to funding i'm not too sure
0: what i do like is the fact that they are going to inspect work rather than just grant money so they need to expect that it's up to standard and that means local transport note 120 LTM 120 standard government guidelines and most councils should also have their own design guidelines. When it comes to Uppershorn Road what the plan is at the moment they want to do a two phase plan so the first phase is to apply for funding to change junctions like this which has got that splayed junction put a crossing in here so there's a couple of junctions and crossings which they want to change. That will just help walking, which is fantastic. You've seen how many people are walking. Many more people walk than cycle because it's not safe to cycle at the moment. That's the first phase that West Sussex County Council want want to do, and applying for money on that. What they've said, though, that they want to do, consult on it before they build it, another consultation. Then once it's consulted on, applied for funding, been given funding built, they want to evaluate it, monitor it, look at the evidence, and if the evidence is right, then they'll have another consultation on installing the cycle lanes on here and then they'll have to apply for the funding again, bid for it and then build it. I don't know if Active Travel England are going to look at it and say, well hold on a minute, how is that going to change journeys? Walking is great and it changes some journeys but cycling has the propensity to get people out of cars because you can travel a lot further on a bike than you can when you're walking. So I like the idea of a phased approach and active travel england coming and monitoring and making sure they're getting value for money for the taxpayer
3: so we've just come a lot up ashore and road it was pretty scary it's really wide we can happily ride to abreast until there's a parked car and then we basically have to pull out into the path of traffic who are driving on a wide road and so they're driving fast and there's quite large vehicles and there's like pinch points where there's those crappy pedestrian non-pedestrian islands they're just there for no other purpose apparently than just to create a pinch point that's quite scary and then the last few hundred meters or less this enormous cement mixing lorry came up behind us at speed driver realized we were there at last minute and slammed on the brakes but it was quite scary hearing this big roar behind you we're to turn right off on this roundabout and then along the little tiny pavement just onto the pavement it was all very quick and now we're on this estuary we're at the beginning of the downs link so the sign says on this massive estuary there's a beautiful wide path with a wooden bridge over the estuary going off into the hills there in a little town there's a wide path along the estuary and it couldn't be more different And because we're shaded by the trees the traffic sound is distant now and the traffic is a distant memory thank god
0: i love showing people the contrast between how horrible and scary it is on upper shore and literally 15 meters away it's calm it's lovely you can hear the birds making noises the seagulls and it has a totally different feel and this is what providing safe space does
3: yeah and at the moment this is kind of inaccessible from upper shore road because you've got the situation we just described then there's a roundabout with extremely heavy constant stream of traffic at the moment once you're in here it's perfect
0: One of the things the council is actually doing is providing a crossing by that roundabout. Our big issue is that it doesn't connect to anything. We talked earlier about how Shoreham hasn't got enough high school places, so lots of Shoreham kids cycle along Upper Shoreham Road over here and over west towards Sir Robert Woodard Academy, which is another high school, and they go along the A27, and it's terrifying. So it's good that the kids are going to have a crossing, but how do they get to that? The leader of our district council, Ada District Council, was very pleased to say that they managed to get a crossing, and he's been calling for a crossing for 20 years on this bit. And that kind of filled me with dread and horror. If it takes the leader of the council 20 years to get a safe crossing that had been in a transport study and recommended for 10 years, what chance the cycling campaign has got? As a cycling campaigner, you do get beaten down and you have the hope you know how fantastic cycling can be and every time there's a knockback it it does affect you personally. However, things to be positive about is that we've seen the smallest primary school kids up to high school kids we've seen older people on bikes we've seen disabled people on bikes on the strider earlier today we've seen people on unicycles the one wheel things e-scooters we know that ada has one of the highest levels of cycling in the uk especially once you take out london cambridge and oxford and ada is a population of 60,000. it's a fantastic place to live we can see the south downs here we've got the downs link all the way up to guildford We've got National Cycle Network 2, which runs from Dover to Cornwall.
3: To Land's End, I think, pretty much. But
0: Shoreham is a fantastic place. We've met so many good people through cycling here. So many people that have started cycling and have realised how great it is. And if we set out on pedestrianised East Street, which has made such a difference since that's happened, you'll see so many people on bikes especially at weekend. Once the hire bike scheme comes to, to Aden and Worthing as well that will
3: just increase. The Brighton hire bike scheme.
0: Yeah, the Brighton hire bike scheme which is the most successful scheme outside of London so we've met people that come down from Norfolk in a helicopter today, multimodal <laughs> transport, but you get tourists using it, you get residents using it Mark Strong, who we were with earlier today, leading transport consultant resident of Brighton Owns multiple bikes, he was using it today. I've used it from time to time as well, as and when I need to. Get the train into Brighton, get on a higher bike, nip down the seafront. There's much to be positive over here. Cycling community on Twitter, big shout out to you lot, is fantastic. Just meeting people, like-minded people, and realising how good and how different things can be positive about active travel england hearing chris and danny yesterday at the transport select committee talking positively about cycling and how great it can be there's so much to be positive about
3: well thank you so much adam thanks for showing us around absolute pleasure thank you for
2: coming down laura that was great but i have to say is it upper shoreham road yeah. Sounds just nightmarish.
3: Yeah, it was horrible. It was as horrible as it sounded. I was really shocked because I'd written about it and about the cycle lane that went in and came out. But having seen it for myself, it was really quite shocking. And I'm um, very sad for all of the children who are walking and cycling on the pavement now and um, across the road. Yeah.
1: The bit I don't get about all this is just, it doesn't build any capacity. Like the, you look at the road and, and the road's got full of a few parked cars. So no one's winning, basically. I think there's a thing about wands, you know, this is this is theory that I have about wands, because they look slightly unsightly. I think the wands in Upper shore were orange. I think a certain type of yeah. society just pops out and says, don't like that. And it's not about cycling, it's about the wands. And, and I, I think there's some interesting stuff about this. I think they're trying to create some nicer versions of wands now.
2: It's a really good point. I came here to this podcast recording from London Bridge, where I picked up a hire bike. And London Bridge is one of the few look, the pockets of London where you've just got this litter of um, that original streets, mm. street, safe space. Streets, street yeah. space, blue kind of blue, blue stuff, yeah. and it's all higgledy piggledy and all chucked all over the place, and all it, lo- it looks horrible actually, and it does look like can
3: we get rid of that? Mm.
2: And I think there's a, there's a really important point there to be made about, you know, making things look beautiful. Would you agree?
3: Yeah, I think so as well. And it was like Mark said, the ones in Brighton and the ones they would have used in Shoreham. I forgot they were orange actually as well, but they're the exact same ones they use in the motorway. But when yeah, they're doing they road do work, do road so it works. does have like a heavy kind of, yeah, yeah heavy duty I can speak feel. from
1: experience because I was talking to the director of transport, one of our local councils in the West Midlands, and orange ones were all they could get, basically, because during the pandemic, everyone started buying ones and they hadn't bought ones before and orange were the only ones left in stock basically because they did not for the motor race so that's why a lot of the temporary schemes were a bit garish
2: just finally laura the highlight for me of listening to that with the lads who turned up in a helicopter <laughs> Just got chatting to them, and you go, "How did you get down? You come from Norfolk? How did you get down here then?" Oh, you took a helicopter.
3: <laughs> I know it was so funny. None of us were, expe- of course, none of us were expecting that. It was just hilarious. But even funnier, I, later on in the day, um, I was in a cafe with Adam. We were just having a quick lunch before we carried on to Shoreham and there was a guy behind us. And I, th- I thought it was one of the helicopter men. He kind of pointed his head, like nodded his head towards him. And I nodded. I was like, "Oh yeah, it's the helicopter guys." Turned out it was Fat Boy Slim. <laughs> <laughs> This is was. the most
1: unlikely story ever.
3: <laughs> think it's just ridic- Yeah, the whole thing is very unlikely, but it was quite funny. Yeah, it's
2: one of the big modal things that Boardman hasn't considered, isn't it? Helicopter, hire bike. No one's really factored yeah. that. Have well, you now they've taken
1: it? the lane out. People have got to fly in. That's just, yeah. this is what it's doing to <laughs> climate change. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, thank you for that, Laura. That was highly educational. In particular, I thought uh, another really interesting point that, that was really well explained was... Actually, because you're talking about coastal towns, yeah. the way that the grid sort of looks different, it's not radial in the sense of like a conventional town, you know, you want to build the cycle routes into the centre, but you've got this kind of a grid. I thought, yeah, yeah, I thought that was really interesting as well. Yeah, Never considered consider that.
3: that either, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, Adam's very good. Obviously, he's done all this research and just knows pretty much everything there is to know about all of this.
2: All right, brilliant. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Streets Ahead. Our editor has been Claire Mansell. Let us know what you think at Pod Streets Ahead. Rate us, review us, and share the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. Bye. Bye. Bye.
3: Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials?